I'm joined today by Todd Zeboff, who is from the... Na Sorry, let me start again. Okay. I looked away. I, 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 I looked down at my notes unnecessarily. Okay. I'm joined today by Todd Zeboff from the National Alliance of Public Charter Schools. Todd, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Here in Mississippi, we are about to celebrate 10 years of charter schools, 10 years since the legislation that allows charter schools to come into effect. Um, tell us, why have charter schools been such a force for good across America? What, what is it they do that other public schools don't do as well? Yes, I think one of the unique things about charter schools is they have the flexibility to innovate, to try new and different things. Um, at the same time, in exchange for that, there's a level of accountability in the school to the parents and the broader community. So I think that helps focus people in the school around what's best for the kids in that school. Uh, they have, again, the freedom to innovate, to try new things, balanced out with that accountability. And it's proven particularly good for low-income kids of color in districts all across the country where we see reading and math results for those kids far exceed what the students in the district schools are achieving. I mean, charter schools, as, as you know and I know, have been a, a great success. We've had 10 years in which they've been allowed under Mississippi law. And yet I can't help noticing a rather uncomfortable fact. There are still only eight in the entire state of Mississippi. Why, why is this? Why, why, first of all, why, why are some people opposed to charter schools? Yeah, I think some people are opposed to charter schools because uh, they're ignorant about them. They haven't been in charter schools. They haven't seen the great things that charter school teachers are doing with their students. Um, I think a lot of it is rooted in that ignorance uh, about charter schools. But in, in some other cases, I think you have people who are kind of wedded to the existing system, the status quo, and don't want to deviate at all from, from that status quo and don't want to support anything other than the district system. I, I, I visited some charter schools here in Mississippi and the enthusiasm is infectious. You quite often have a principal who maybe set the school up out of a real belief in the right. vision of, of charter schools. And, and often that, that, individual who was played a lead role in, in setting up the school, that, that enthusiasm becomes kind of the cultural norm across the school. And there's, there's a, a, real, a real joy in being there. Um, in fact, the, the, the charter schools in, in Mississippi are uh, oversubscribed. There are more people wanting right. to go than there are places available. And I'm not sure I've picked up that vibe in some of the non-charter schools. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I mean, the cultural aspect of what parents, staff, and students are able to create together in these innovative public schools is, is something that you can just pick up right when you kind of enter the building. And I've been in charter schools all across the country, and that is often a common denominator you feel when you enter one of these schools or one of these classrooms. And again, I think that has a lot to do with the freedom and flexibility that uh, school founding groups have when they're setting up these schools to create that sense of focus in the culture and to rally people around it. Um, I think it creates a real sense of enthusiasm. People are choosing to be there. 
staff is choose, are choosing to be there, parents are choosing to be there, as opposed to being assigned to a school, either as a teacher or a parent, that you're really not enthusiastic about or committed to. Now, 10 years ago, when organizations like, like yours and mine were working on legislation for Mississippi to allow us to set up charter schools, it seemed kind of sensible to have an authorizer board. The idea was that someone wanted to set up a school, they would have to apply to the authorizer board who would kind of make sure that they had a business plan that stacked up to make sure that, that the math added up um, and just basic kind of quality control. But it pains me to say it, a decade later, it looks as if that authorizer board is in effect a roadblock to reform. They've right. got a record of rejecting eight out of 10 applications. Um, why is that? Is it purely a, a lack of quality applications or is there an agenda? Right. I, I, I don't think it's a lack of quality applications. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's an agenda either. I think it, there just appears to be a, a very high degree of risk aversion among either the staff or the board members um, with the charter board. And I agree. I think we've been very disappointed. On the one hand, we've been very uh, encouraged and excited by all of the letters intent, by all of the applications through communities all across Mississippi that have been filed over the last 10 years, but very discouraged by, I think, the lack of support to make sure those groups write strong applications. Um, and then the lack of uh, you know, risk-taking, for lack of a better phrase, by the authorizing board. Um, I mean, an application does not have to be perfect in order to get approved, and that seems, unfortunately, to be the standard uh, with, the, with the board there. You know, it's got us sort of concerned that, you know, some of our best charter schools across the country in their early days probably would not have been able to get approved by this board, which is very concerning. So I think you wanna be responsible as an authorizer. You wanna make sure people have a high probability to succeed, but you can't expect for perfection and you can't be so risk averse that after 10 years, you only have eight schools that are open. How have other states dealt with this problem? Because I can't believe that we're the only state that's had this problem. How, what are some of the solutions in terms of changing the authorizer process that we might look at? Yeah, I think, you know, Mississippi is unique in that there's only one authorizing entity. Most states allow multiple authorizers. Sometimes that means you could go to your local school district or you could go to a entity like the State Charter Board of Mississippi. In other states, you maybe could go to a public university, um, you know, Miss University of Mississippi, Mississippi State, some other public university to be authorized. Uh, even in some states, they allow uh, cities, uh, city councils or mayors to be authorized. So there's all kinds of options. Um, and I think what we've recommended to states is, you know, you want to have multiple avenues. You don't want to have too many because what you find with too many is you sort of see quality become diluted. You want to have that balance where people have, with a good application, have an opportunity to get a fair hearing and to get approved. But at the same time, you don't want so many authorizers where you know, quality is really being diluted. And right now, Mississippi, one authorizing pathway, at, given the, you know, you probably want to consider changing the board members with new appointments for that board at some point, but in parallel with that, creating another authorizing pathway, maybe through a public university there. Could you get a statewide official, I don't know, say, for example, the Secretary of State or the, um, I don't know, the Lieutenant Governor to be 
an authorizer? We haven't seen that yet. Um, what we've seen, probably the closest we've seen to that is we worked uh, last year in Wyoming with the legislature there to change their law. And they allowed what they call the state loan and investment board to be an authorizer. They didn't want to create a new entity. So they gave it to an existing authority. And that has the governor, the secretary of state, the secretary of education, uh, the treasurer, you know, those kinds of statewide elected officials on there. It's an existing board already. Um, so uh, and I don't think Mississippi has something like that, but we haven't seen like an individual like the secretary of state, lieutenant governor become the authorizer in a state yet. I, I, I simply wondered because I, I, I sometimes wonder maybe if in a state like Mississippi, it needs an individual to really champion it. And, you know, I'm with Wyoming. Don't create new institutions and individuals right. when you can get an existing one. And also there would be a certain sort of um, um, vested interest, if you like, if you're running for statewide office, if you could say, you know, vote for me as lieutenant governor or, or, or state auditor or state um, secretary of state, and I will become the champion of more charter schools. I can see, I can see a lot of, a lot of, a lot of parents, um, grandparents responding very positively to that. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I, I have to go back and look at how the board there is, is appointed, but often when we have boards like the one in Mississippi, you do have either the governor or you have a few different, you know, elected officials making the appointments to the board of those, but it's not a direct, you know, yeah. they're not the authorizers directly. Here's another thought. Um, rather than having an authorizing process where every time you want to open a new charter school, you have to go through the process, could you change the authorizing process so that you are in effect being a licensed provider? And once you as an organization have been approved to be a licensed provider, hey, you can go ahead and 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 run as many charter schools as you can set up. A little bit like, a, um, for example, dentistry. You, you don't need to go and get permission from a state board every time you want to give someone some fillings and dentures, but um, you do need to be licensed to be uh, a dentist. Yeah, I think, you know, we've, we haven't seen any states do that. Um, what we have seen are some states try to make it easier for existing operators who are running high quality schools, however that state defines it, to, uh, not, have, to not have to go through the same process that a brand new school would have to go through. Um, you know, schools that have a long established track record of, you know, good financial, good academic performance, you know, high re-enrollment rates among students, you know, clearly, you know, not only good for the students, but good for taxpayers, you know, saying to those schools, you don't have to go through the same process. You have a, an accelerated process or one that's not as burdensome, but we still think there needs to be some kind of check and balance even though it might not be as extensive on you opening up a new school. And that's something we think that kind of strikes a good balance between the licensing approach and making somebody who's been running great schools have to go through a very burdensome process to open a new one. Um, one other slight complaint that I, I feel people have about charter schools is they often associate a charter school with failure. Under the Mississippi law, you can theoretically open a charter school in any school board district, whether you're rated A or F, but you need the permission of the local school board district unless you're in a failing um, district. And what that in effect means um, is that you, you're not going to get permission unless you're in a failing neighborhood. And so we tend to see the handful of charter schools we have 
in districts where things are bad. And I, I, I rather fear that means that charter schools are kind of labelled as a, something you do when things are failing, rather than being actually the potential great success story that I think they should be. What, what should we do to try to make sure that there's a charter school available in every district, whether it's doing really well or, or not doing so well? Remove that provision of law. We would say that's one of the highest priorities for Mississippi policymakers when they tackle revising the charter school law, whether it's next session or the session after. It's figure out how to create a new authorizing pathway and remove this requirement that if you want to start a charter in A, B, or C district, you have to get the district to sign off on it because you know, we and we knew this at the time, it was a political compromise that was made. But if you have that provision in there, guess what? You're not going to get any charter schools in those districts. Not a big surprise. We think parents in all communities want options, need options. And we see that in states all across the country where you have charter schools open in urban areas, in small towns, in, in suburban areas, all types of communities. And my sense is if you remove that provision, from Mississippi's law, you'll begin to see charter schools want to open in A communities, B communities, C communities, in addition to the communities that are opening in right now. And we think that's good for families and it's good for the state. That's certainly one of our priorities. I mean, we've got a number of bills in this session. And if we don't succeed in this session, we'll be preparing the ground this session for next session. But we are very keen on, on, on changing that requirement. We're very keen on um, multiple authorizer um, boards or entities. And we're also really keen on this idea that if you are an approved operator of charter schools, you shouldn't have to go through the same high regulatory hurdle every time. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, fundamentally, if we want to change Mississippi, which is often ranked 50th out of 50 states, if we want to change Mississippi for the better, you can't ignore the um, fundamental issue of um, you know, suboptimal outcomes in public education. And yes, right. you can you can improve things by spending more money and you can improve things by doing all, all kinds of change. But you know, I think charter schools are absolutely essential, key part of key yeah. part of the, the reforms that are needed. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, any any other final thoughts you want to say as we celebrate 10 years of charter schools in Mississippi? Well, I would just say, you know, I, it's easy to be discouraged that there are only eight schools, but I tend to sort of look at all of the pent up interest in demand that we know is there. And I think it's about making these changes to the environment there to really let that pent up demand loose, not only in quote unquote failing districts, but in districts all across the state. So we really encourage Mississippi policymakers to make the kinds of changes you're pushing uh, to the law there to really create a vibrant charter school sector there. Fantastic, Todd. Thank you so much for, for your time. And if there are things you think we, Mississippi Center for Public Policy, can do um, to help, um, you know, please, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, you know, we need we need as many organizations in this coalition we're building here in Mississippi as we can. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.